0: cat and moose podcast i'm cat and i'm moose this is a true life podcast where we explore the quirks of being human hey cat hey moose what's up you know i found a book at your house do you remember the name of that book where it talks about uh are they are they called idioms Well, producer
1: Sarah said they're called idioms. Like the book that I have that I think you're talking about is called Most Comprehensive Origins of Clichés, Proverbs, and Figurative Expressions. So things like uh, metaphors, similes, proverbs, etc. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, idioms when, when Sarah told us, Hey guys, you know, the, the whole topic of the shorty this week is going to be idioms. So come prepared with four or five. I thought to myself, like, I'm an idiot. What is an idiom? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. So I had to Google idiom. And what I learned is an idiom is basically a word or phrase that makes no sense in actual context, but it describes something that the culture that uses that phrase or word understands. And so for example, we talked about on our last episode, we talked about waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. Like that would be an idiom.
0: Okay. So one of mine, I don't think it's an idiom, but it's a phrase I use often. So I thought I would start here. Um, I often say the phrase, I could give two shits. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Which I think we know what it means. Um, (laughs) But I'll start there because um, I realized when I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary, um, I know it means I don't care, but. Apparently, what is not said yet emphasized is I could give two shits, but I don't. Oh, I'm still unsure why giving two shits would be a positive thing. (laughs) Can you help me break that down? Like, I don't understand where it would have come from.
1: Okay, so let's say that you say, hey, Kat, I, I really don't give two shits about this, but I'm going to run it past you before we just, you know, totally throw it in the trash can. If I came back to you and said, actually, I do give two shits about that, that we we both know that that means that, that I care about it, right? Right. So if I give two shits, does it mean that me going and having a bowel movement <laughs> is is a good is, thing, like, two of them. Caring, it's like, is, it, it's like if someone says, "Cat, do you love me? And I say, hang on, and I go and take a poop. Like, does that mean that I love that person? Maybe. I don't it, think that makes any sense. Maybe
0: it comes from like, if it was a really good meal that you just ate, then it's going to be two sets of shits. Or two, not sets. <laughs> that would be one set. <laughs> I'm going to start saying, I don't give one set of shits. okay give me one of yours
1: okay so this is something that that i say all the time and and i I do it to you all the time is holding something over your head oh yeah so if you're going to hold something over somebody's head like what does that mean to you it
0: means like um you could probably eventually blackmail them you have something on them that yep. could come back and bite you in the ass next time.
1: Yep. And, and that's exactly what it means. So according to my book, The Origins of Clichés, Proverbs, and Figurative Expressions, it says this idiomatic expression means to use one's knowledge about someone else to control him or her. The earliest available citation appeared in An African Millionaire by Grant Allen in the Strand Magazine in a syndicated series published in 1896 and 1897. Quote, unquote, Charles said to hold... Hold this one last coup over my head in terrorium.
0: What does that mean?
1: Well, I I don't know what
0: terror <laughs> I, I <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I'm seeing the pattern here. That's not,
1: that's- <laughs> That's not the point of this shorty is to have a vocabulary lesson. Even though along with myself, at least two or three people listening also did not have any idea what an idiom was. Um I also <laughs> don't know what terrorum <laughs> means, but it sounds to me like hey, I'm I'm going to have this piece of information that I'm going to basically use against you like a terrorist. So oh, terrorum uh, yeah, so, is so-
0: is a form of the word terror.
1: <laughs> it's like terror rum <laughs> in meaning in order to frighten
0: uh, didn't we have this a couple episodes ago where you were like did you know that the first thing that was created inside of a human is their soul or something like that and I was like <laughs> it was their brain stem. It a brain stem and I go no way so what does that mean and you go I don't know <laughs> <laughs> kind of like okay you know what i'm gonna throw i'm throwing this in here i haven't looked it up it's kind of like you saying you can you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink you're giving them a little bit you know what you're like look i'm not here to be your teacher i'm Mm -hmm. here to be your guide i'm here to be your Mm -hmm. sherpa So now I need to look up lead a horse to water and the Google machine. But
1: see, I don't know if producer Sarah is going to think that's an idiom because it's very literal. Somewhere
0: you think that I care if I'm following the rules here.
1: Oh, well, that's right. You're an eight. You don't care. (laughs) I'm a two with a one wing. So I really do care about following the rules. Like. I, I, because it's very literal. You literally lead a horse to water. If it doesn't drink, it's the horse's problem at that point. But it like, still
0: has an origin that is worth finding.
1: Oh, it certainly is worth finding, which leads me to my second idiom that I looked up, and that's the pet
0: peeve. Oh. Yeah, I'd never have understood what that meant. I, I Well, I mean, but do you know what it means? Well, yeah. It's like when something annoys you about something or someone.
1: Yeah, it's like, man, it's my pet peeve when you know, so-and-so always shows up 10 minutes late, you know, like that's, that's kind of it being used in context. So the word peevish, which sounds a little too close to other words, peevish,
0: constantly complaining, fretful, whining, peevish.
1: um, Though the word peevish has been around in English since the 1300s, The first verifiable reference in print to pet peeve, meaning something which is particularly annoying to an individual, which may not bother others to the same degree, however, is from the Illinois chemist, November, 1915, in a footnote on page 57, quote unquote, originality is a prime virtue. So is original investigation. I don't even know what that means. Our pet peeve, Yes, and he talked about the paraffin series, (laughs) methane, ethane, and propane.
0: (laughs) What? And I feel like you're reading something from the Old Testament. (laughs) Well, it's from 1915, so it's not really from the Old Testament, but it's
1: from 1915. And apparently the phrase had obviously already been in use for a while at this time. I don't know how obvious that is to any of us who aren't used to reading... uh, Things from the Illinois chemist from <laughs> 1915. <laughs> but thanks for the insight, Stanley J. St. Clair. We Seriously, appreciate it. Like, I just feel like my head hurts
0: now. Peevish. Okay, I've got one for you. What about the one, the proof is in the pudding? Is that an idiom? I may have done this whole thing wrong.
1: Oh, that's totally an idiom. It's totally an idiom. Like, what does that mean? What does it even mean? Well, you tell me what you think it means. Okay, the proof is in the pudding. So basically, like, that means, like, if something that's being, like, let's just say somebody says, hey, cat, I think that Moose is a fantastic human. And I say back, well, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Then, then what that means is... Well, it sounds like I don't think you're a fantastic yeah. human, which is like, not go true. Go prove it, Moose. <laughs> yeah, but it does sound like. Well, the 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 proof is in the pudding. Kind of sounds like well, it, it, it go go look and see and feel and taste, and if you agree after that, then then it will be true that that Moose is a great human.
0: So that's what I thought it meant too, but apparently it has three meanings. Oh, the first is there's evidence to back up the previously made claim, which is what you said, specific and intrinsic to the object or person in question. Number two, the process of achieving something isn't as important as the long as long as the end product is good. Hmm. So like you would say, I had to walk a thousand miles to find the treasure, but the proof is in the pudding. I had never heard it like that. Uh, So so I still don't get it. So it means that the process of achieving something isn't as important as the end product. Mm. Meaning like it doesn't matter how you got there as long as it's good. Okay.
1: Okay. So it's kind of like this, this person in my life, um, who anybody who knows this person will know exactly who I'm talking about. He says this thing where he says, as long as we're in Memphis at two o'clock on Friday, I don't care how we get there.
0: Yeah. Do you agree
1: with that? I, I, to me, the proof is in the pudding. In in that, like what I just said, don't
0: seem like the same thing to me. Does it to you? No, but I'm asking if you agree that it doesn't matter how people get there as long as the product is great.
1: Well, I, I, I. Well, gosh, I guess it depends on the situation because I think the journey is what is most important. That's the thing that I'm learning in life and in therapy is that it's not about like what happens at the beginning or the end. It's everything that happens in between. So I, I don't agree with that. If we're talking about life and all those kinds of things, if, if we're talking about something more specific, then yeah, I could see where that could be true.
0: So the third is the third definition is the success of something can only be measured by putting it to its intended use. Which an example they gave is, you'll try to have it out before you buy it since the proof is in the pudding. I have no idea what that means. Well, I think I think it basically means like, okay, so this
1: happened to me a few years ago, and, and you know about this because you recommended that I buy this car that I bought. The guy at the dealership, he said, take this car home for a weekend and test drive it for the weekend. The proof will be in the pudding. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, in that case, and I did buy the car and I loved it and I had it for like four or five years before I I got my
0: current car. You can say it's a Subaru because that is yeah, the ultimate I, vehicle.
1: Yeah. I loved my Subaru Outback, but now I drive an Audi Q5 that I don't own. Um, and I, I really like that too, but I don't own it. So I don't really that. own
0: mine either, but I do make payments. So the origin of the proof is in the pudding. The reason for the plethora of definitions is most likely the Americaniz- Americanization, <laughs> say it. Americanization. The Americanization of the old British idiom, which reads, "The proof of the pudding is in the eating." Whereas the British version makes at least some sense, the shortened American version is nonsensical. This led to the varied use of the idiom and in multitude of situations with varying understandings of the definition. The British version, however, is the closest to the definition of the third listed above. The word proof was synonymous to test in the 16th century. So basically test it out to see which is why mm-hmm. this idiom is thought to surfaced. Pudding was also far different from today. It was most likely a minced meat dish. You heard right. A minced meat dish. I put that in there. <laughs> Therefore, the true, A.K.A. a fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> minced meat.
1: I mean, can we talk about that? Oh. I mean, let's talk about that. That's not an idiom. That's not a proverb. That's just a mistake.
0: Yeah. So it said, therefore, the true test of the success of a pudding dish is in how it tastes, not any ornamentation. I can't read today or appearance. Most generally, (laughs) the success of something can be measured only by putting it to its intended purpose. It is unknown where the more American definitions came from. Hmm. So it's kind of what you said, like drive it. You'll love it.
1: Yeah. The proof is always in the pudding. Okay. So the one that I'm going to bring to the table is, um, a thorn in one side.
0: Ooh, that's a good one.
1: So what, what does that mean to you?
0: Uh, like something like it's this continuous, um, person or something that you can never really get rid of. They're just like a, they're always like a burden to you. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And where my mind goes immediately when I think of that phrase is I think of something in the Pauline epistles in the, the New Testament. I think of Paul saying, you know, this there is a particular thing that is a thorn in my flesh that I can't get rid of. And there's all kinds of speculation among biblical scholars and you know, Christian followers who say like, what was the thorn in Paul's side? So I I don't know because I didn't know Paul and I did not see the thorn in his flesh. So I don't feel like I'm, I'm um have the authority to say what that was, but this metaphoric cliche relates to something or someone who is continuously causing problems for someone, a chronic infirmity or annoyance. It is derived from the Bible, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, like I was just saying. Herein the Apostle Paul tells of a thorn in his flesh which gives him much trouble. And lest I should be exalted above the measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And that's the King James version. And we know that because we can't understand it. (laughs) The actual source of St. Paul's thorn is much debated among theologians, a song recorded in 1986 by the British pop duo Arrhythmics and written by members of the band, Annie Lennox and David Stewart, Thorn in My Side, was based on this cliche. I
0: always thought that was a a phrase in reference to, I'm totally being serious, Jesus' crown of thorns, and (laughs) I'm being so serious. (laughs) (laughs) His crown of thorns and then I'm sitting here going, Oh, but I pictured like a spear in his side, which is what happened as he was going to the cross. And then I've just had this moment of like, How did the thorns get down into his side? <laughs> there, there is so much historically and biblically wrong with everything. You just like name one thing. <laughs> You
1: said that he got pierced by a spear. <laughs> he did it his side. <laughs> he got pierced by a spear on the way to the cross. That's what
0: I said. <laughs> he got pierced. I know it's what you said, but <laughs> it's wrong. So it's right. No, it's not. Right. Wait, what happened? I've seen this a is lot why of those people, movies.
1: This is why people listen to cat because of how incredibly um, factual and actual <laughs> the information we share is. So my my understanding is that that Jesus was on the cross. Jesus had been suffering for a really long time, and when he was hanging on the cross, about to breathe his last breaths. Someone, I think it was a soldier or something like that, put something with hyssop, which I think is like spoiled wine, um, up to his mouth. And so when they put that up to his mouth, then he said, my God, by God, why have you forsaken me? And then he died. And so then um, after that, my understanding is that he was then pierced under his right rib with a spear by like a soldier or something like that. And apparently if you are living... And you are pierced in the lung, um, that will immediately cause you to drown and die by the fluids um, getting into your lung from the piercing. And so my understanding is that whoever the soldier or the person was, they pierced his side with a spear in order to fill his lungs with liquid to alleviate any more of his suffering. So I don't think that he was pierced with a spear on the way to the cross.
0: <laughs> I think it happened. Like- I mean, I got one detail wrong. <laughs> it's all i got man <laughs> and when you say the
1: crown of thorns i wanted to say like okay but how did it get to his side but you already well said that, one so. thought
0: i had was maybe he took a tumble i mean th- i was just trying to put it together in my head Jesus, <laughs> because jesus, i always thought a, i for- always thought when people say a thorn on your side i always thought it was a reference to jesus so I literally was putting together in my head, well, how did the thorn get there? Because the thorns is on mm-hmm. his head. But now we know. You've set us straight. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now we know the thorn was St. Paul's and not Jesus's. If you guys have any idioms that are your favorites or that you think are not understandable or you would love our perspective on, which I can't imagine you've got to be really bored during COVID-19, <laughs> if you want our perspective on your favorite idioms, you can email us hello at catandmoosepodcast.com.
0: Good job. Special thanks to our producer, Sarah Reed. To find out more, go to Cat and Moose Cat and Moose is a BP production.